First Corinthians chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not, wa- I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Here's the verse we're going to center on. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and labor. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Mr. A., I tried to pronounce his name in the first service, the 830 service. It's, it's a Greek name. And actually, you don't pronounce the C-H. But it went so badly that I've just called him Mr. A since, okay? So, I know it doesn't really matter to anybody, but I just wanted you to know who I'm talking about there, that guy there. Because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the cross that enables us to be forgiven and to be joined in union to Christ, to be adopted into the family of God. Thank you for those spiritual realities. God, I pray that you would help us to build strong men at Lincoln. Help us, Father, to be watchful and prayerful. Help us, Lord, to guard our families and our church. Father, please speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in the book of 1 Corinthians since January, first Sunday in January, uh, and now we're finally finishing up. I think this is our last Sunday. There's a possibility we may do one more Sunday, but I think this is it. Um, you know, most of the commentaries, most of the sermon series that you see in 1 Corinthians, they don't, they don't have anything in chapter 16. It kind of ends with the passage that we ended with last week in chapter 15, verse 58. I think that's because basically chapter 16, Paul's kind of wrapping things up. You know, and you know how people respond when you wrap things up. You ever have you ever seen how people respond about three to four minutes before I close the service? There, there's something innately about people they know when that's happening, and you you hear all the Bible covers zip up. You know, and you know, and I try to end really abruptly. I mean, I, on ten, on purpose. Like I try to like not give you a, like just boom, just we're done. You know, like wow. You know, people still know. They still know it's coming, and so they're like, okay, he's just wrapping up. You know. You know, where are we going for lunch, you know? And, and so I think that's what's happening here. Chapter 15, we've got all these great themes in 1 Corinthians, you know? Unity and lawsuits and sexual morality and divorce and spiritual gifts and resurrection and abuse of the Lord's Supper and the, the necessity of love. And last week we looked at a, abounding in the service of the Lord connected to the physical kingdom of Christ. And then all of a sudden in chapter 16, Paul starts saying, all right, you know, I'm going to come to you later and this guy's going here and this guy's going there. And, you know, everybody just begins to zip up, okay? Uh, and I think that's why there's not much done in 1 Corinthians 16. However, I want you to notice verse 13 and 14, which I think are really crucial verses. Be watchful, 
Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Now, one of the things that you might say is, okay, pastor, that's really nothing new, you know? I mean, last, last, last chapter in 15, we've got this great explanation of the resurrection and of our resurrection bodies, okay? And, and in chapter 13, we had this great, you know, picture of, of Christian love and biblical love. And in chapter 12, we had this great big picture of, of spiritual gifts and God moving through the saints. But here in 16, what do we have? Well, we've got just kind of this... This reminder really is what it is. It's basically a reminder. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. All of those things in those two verses, really, he's told us before, okay? This is not new stuff, okay? Now, what I want to tell you, though, is that does not mean it's not important, okay? Now, now here's why. We need reminders when there are big things on the line, okay? I do this with my kids all the time. Uh, Every time my son takes care of my two little girls, my my nine-year-old, my four-year-old, I give him the same speech, okay? It's a speech that goes something like this. All right, son, you're responsible. You're in charge here, okay? Maybe he's going to walk him down to Winnie's. He does that a lot. And I say, son, you know, you keep hold of her hand. You do not let Haven out of your sight. You keep hold of her the whole way. You know, son, you know, you're responsible. You know, don't let anything happen to him. You got to get him there safely. Make sure they get in the door. And then I usually end saying something like, son, if anything happens, you fight to the death for your sisters, okay? Someone's going to die, it better be you, buddy, because you're responsible here, okay? You, 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 you do, you be a man. That's what I'm telling him. But I tell him that speech every time, you know? And, and why do I do that every time? Because when something is incredibly important, it necessitates a reminder, does it not? You guys understand what I'm saying? You know, I mean, those of you who've got kids, how many times have you told them, look both ways before you cross the street? You don't just tell them that once, you tell them that every time they cross the street, every time they're going across the street, you know, hey, make sure you look both ways. Why? Because it's important. You know, when you're at the airport, you have that little, that little recording going constantly, don't you? About make sure your bag does not get out of your sight. Make sure it's with you at all times. Do not take a bag from somebody else if they give it to you. I mean, that's con- And how often does that happen? It's never happened to me. You know, 20 years of flying, nobody's ever come up to me in the parking lot and said, hey, take this bag to Miami with you. You know, I'll, I'll see you there and get it. You know, I mean, nobody ever says that. Not, not to me anyway, you know, but if it ever does happen, it's pretty important because it probably means the bad stuff are happening, right? And so when things are important, it necessitates a continual reminder. Whenever we are prone to be lax in something, that necessitates a continual reminder. You know, things that we're prone to stray in, we're prone to get cold in, we're prone to get lazy in. There are lots of those things in life. Uh, With my four-year-old, we're just now getting to the point where she's got some success with this. But forever, I was constantly a reminder. Anytime I saw her come out of a bathroom, two things, two things every time. Did you flush? Did you wash? Did you flush? Did you wash? Did you flush? Did you wash? You know, some of you are like, man, I still got to tell my 28 year old that, you know, did you flush? Did you wash? I mean, I mean, just always, always, you know, I don't have to just tell her once. I got to tell her continually. You know why? Because she is prone to be lax. She's prone to be, I'm thinking Barbie. She's playing Barbies. Go to the bathroom, back to Barbie. You know, she's prone to forget these things. In your spiritual life, there are two things that are true. Number one, it is incredibly important that you continue to follow Jesus Christ. And number two, you are prone to not do so. Does that make sense? 
You're prone to get lazy in your Bible reading. You're prone to not obey Jesus. You're prone to sin. You're prone to fall away. You're prone to get lax. You're prone to get lazy. I mean, all those things are true. And so it's significant, I believe, that Paul says here, Hey, guys, this thing is yours now. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you be, do be done in love. We see this other places in the Bible. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, here's what Paul says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Paul says, or Peter says, I'm going to remind you of things you already know. Verse 13, I think it's right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. You know what reminding people does? It stirs them up, okay? We, we need to be continually reminded of the things of God. Why? Because it stirs us up. You know what stir up means, right? You, you've grown stale. You've grown, you're not moving, okay? And you know what a reminder does? It stirs you up to get you moving again. Okay, that, that, that's what Peter is saying there. Peter says, man, I'm going to do this until the day I die. The next, next verse he says, I know that pretty soon I'm going to be putting off my body. I'm going to be going to be with the Lord. And verse 15 says, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, you may be able to at any time recall these things. Peter says, look, I, my goal is, is to ingrain these things so much in you that you always are right on your mind. Okay? Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us we're supposed to be this way toward one another. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often are we to exhort one another? Every day. Every day. Not once a week, not at church, come hear the sermon. But we're to have the kind of Christian relationships, the kind of what we call here in Lincoln Avenue, the kind of Christ-centered relationships in which we encourage and exhort one another every single day. You're to have the kind of relationships where you text one another, where you call one another, where you see each other for lunch or breakfast or, or dinner, and you encourage one another day after day. Why do we need every day? Because we are prone to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's one of the reasons why church is so important that we gather together as a body of believers because we are prone to be hard. We're prone to get callous. We're prone to get cold toward the Lord. Even if we're going through the motions, we're prone on the inside to get cold to the Lord. So there's a continual need for a reminder. It's exactly what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 16. He's told them all these incredible things throughout the book. And now he comes back and says, all right, guys, men. He's specifically talking to the men of the church. Guys, you've got to be watchful. You've got to stand firm in the faith. You've got to act like men. You've got to be strong. You've got to let everything you do be done in love. I think this is a great Father's Day passage for two reasons. Number one, you have this little phrase in here, act like men, that we're going to go over here in just a little bit. But number two, there is some great men in this passage, okay? Let, let, let me read to you uh, um, again what it says about some guys uh, in this chapter 16. Verse 5 talks about Paul. It talks about Paul. Here's what I love about Paul. I've, I've told you this about Paul before. Verse 7, I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. You know what Paul says there? He says, I don't just want to have lunch with you and then, then go on my way. You know, I've, I've got to go somewhere and I don't just want to stop by for a few minutes. I, I, want to be, I want to be a part of your small group. I want to spend significant time with you. That's, that's what Paul is saying. That's always the heart of the Apostle Paul is Christ-centered relationships. I, I want to be with you in which I can rub off on you and you can rub off on me. Where, where I can encourage you and build up your spiritual life, and you can encourage me and build up my spiritual life, okay? So that's the heart of Apostle Paul, but he says, I can't do that right now, verse 8, because God's opened a door. 
Verse 9 says, a wide door of effective work is open for me. And man, Paul says, I'm going to take it. Even though there's adversaries, even though Paul's got threats on his life, even though there's difficulty and struggle, Paul's the type of guy that when God opens the door, he steps into it. Then you got Timothy in verse 10. Timothy's kind of a timid guy. I don't know if you've read much about him in the New Testament, but he's got stomach problems. He's got some anxiety problems. He's kind of a fearful guy. Paul's always talking to him about, man, be bold, be courageous, Timothy. But here's the deal about Timothy. Timothy is a servant of the Lord. Look in verse 10. It says, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. One of the wonderful things I love about Timothy is he is so useful that the Apostle Paul is always wanting him to come to where he's at. Verse 11, let let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's going to minister to you. He's going to serve the Lord there. But hey, you guys can't keep him very long because you help him on his way. In other words, give him some money to get back to me because I need him back here with me. That's the kind of guy. Timothy is. Then you got Apollos. You know, you would think that Paul and Apollos would not be friends. Why would you think that? Well, you remember over in chapter 1, where the Corinthian church had done this really stupid thing, and they'd kind of broken up into little camps, little groups, little cliques. And, you know, some people were Paul's clique, and some people were Apollos's, and some people were Peter's. Okay? Hey, that, that doesn't bother Paul at all. There's no competition in his mind. Look at what he says here. He says in verse 12, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you. Paul says, man, I want him to come to you because I know he'll be useful in your life with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will. So Apollos, he's got other things on his plate. He's going to come when he has opportunity. Okay, so you got Paul, you got Timothy, you got Paulus. Then you got these other three guys from Corinth. These guys are from the Corinthian church. You got this guy named Stephanus in verse 15. He's the first convert in this, this region. And he led his whole house to Jesus. Man, I love guys. We've got guys like that in this church who got saved and led their whole family to come to Christ. Man, that, that's a cool thing. And that's this guy, this guy Stephanus. Then you got Fortunatus. And, and Mr. A. Uh, these are cool guys. You know why? Because verse 18 says, they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Okay, he, here's what I want to tell you about these guys, all right? Here's what I tell you about these men. These are men who are useful in the spiritual lives of other people, okay? That, that, that's what you see in all these guys. These, these are men who Paul says, I'm going to send them to you, or they're going to come back to me, but wherever they go, they are men who build up the lives of other people. And the way he expresses that in verse 18 is these are men who refresh my spirit and yours. Okay, And then he says, give recognition to these men. What's the word refresh mean? You guys know what that means, right? It's like when your dog tired and you can't go anymore and you get a good night's sleep. What do you call that? I've been refreshed, right? Or on a cold winter's day, we can't hardly imagine that right now, you know. You've been outside working all day and you come in, you have a, you have a, you have a nice hot meal. What does that do? It refreshes your soul, right? It refreshes you. Or, or maybe, maybe on a real hot day, you know. You've been mowing the lawn, you're just sweating, it's 110 out. And, and someone gives you a cold glass of water, ice water. What does that do? It refreshes you. The word refresh means to, to enable you to keep going. It kind of gives you energy, gives you strength. And so what Paul says about these men... Are these the type of men that when you feel like you can't go anymore spiritually, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, when you hang out with these guys, they enable you to keep going, okay? That's the kind of men that Paul talks about in this chapter. These are men who are givers and not takers. These are men who invest in people. These are men who make deposits in the lives of others and not just withdrawals. 
You see, there's, there's an ungodly type of man, and all he knows how to do is use his ATM card, okay? All he knows how to do is make, make withdrawals out of people's lives, you know? He, if he comes up to you, he's trying, he's trying to swipe, you know? He's trying to say, what can I get from you? What can you give to me? If you can't do anything for me, then I'm not interested in you, okay? The type of men that are in chapter 16 are men who make deposits in people's lives. They are looking to invest in you. They are looking to build you up in faith. They are looking to serve you. They're looking to be a giver in your life. They're looking to invest in you. They are servants and equippers. They're men who solve problems, not men who cause problems. And here's what I want you to know. I want to do exactly what verse 18 says. Give recognition to such men. I want you to know there are a bunch of those men at Lincoln Avenue. You know why I love this church? That's reason number one. Okay? Is because of the men in our church. Now, I'm not saying we don't have great ladies. We do have great ladies in this church. But, you know, honestly, let me tell you something. There are great ladies in almost every church. Every church I've ever been to, every church I've ever preached at, served at, there's almost always a group of women who are just committed to serving the Lord and committed to ministry. But there are not always a group of men like that. That's been my experience. But you know what I love about this church? I love that for the 15 years I've been here, the thing that's energized my soul about being at Lincoln Avenue is there is a large group of men who say, we will be this kind of guy. We will be the kind of guy who takes responsibility for his family and for for his wife and his kids and his church. He'll be the kind of guy that's first to serve and to sacrifice and to lead and to pray and to get the family in the car and to get them to church. And we will be the kind of guy who is refreshing to other people, men who take responsibility. And we know what it's like to have men that don't do that, right? You've seen those kind of guys you, you, you know them, you, you probably know of them, you probably have, have them probably in your family at some point. They're guys that don't take the initiative. They're guys that will watch TV while their kids battle sin and their wife struggles with depression. They're guys who don't, who, here, here's, here's, a, here's a telltale sign of a guy who doesn't get biblical masculinity. It's a guy who pushes whatever he doesn't want to do onto the other people in his life, okay? That's a telltale sign of a guy who doesn't understand biblical masculinity. He's got to, if he doesn't want to do something, if he's afraid to do something, if he, if he doesn't feel competent in something, the first thing he's going to do is push that on his wife. He's going to push that on his kids. He's going to push that on the church. He's going to push that on something else. He's not a guy who makes investments. He's a guy that says, hey, you, you handle this for me. I don't want to handle this in my family, so you handle this. I don't want to teach my kids about Jesus. You do that. I don't want to pray for my family. I want you to do that. I, I don't want to be responsible for the church. I want somebody else to do that. Man, chapter 16, we got five or six guys mentioned here who are exactly the opposite of that. I say, what, gentlemen? Oh, we got great men at Lincoln. Man, 1 Corinthians eleven three. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. That, that is the verse in the New Testament for biblical headship. And, and here's what I think about that verse. That is a great privilege that God has given to men. He says, guys, I want you to be responsible for your family. I want you to be responsible. I want you to take the initiative in your family. You know what that's like? That, that's like? That's like someone saying, hey, you get to throw out the first pitch at the World Series game. I mean, it's an honor. Gentlemen, it's an honor that God has given us that responsibility. And I can't imagine a guy saying, hey, you know what? They've asked me to throw out the first pitch at the World Series. Honey, would you do that? I'm just afraid I won't be able to get it there, you know? I'm afraid I'll throw it in the dirt. You know, I'm afraid I'll throw a grounder, you know? So, hey, honey, would you, would you do that for me? I, I mean, friends, guys, man, 
What a great responsibility we have. And so let's be the kind of guys, like I mentioned in this passage, who refresh the spirit of other people. Let let me just give you some non-refreshing things, okay? Just kind of sharpen this in your mind. Men who are grumblers do not refresh the souls of others, okay? I mean, you just can't do that. Guys, if we're going to be a verse 18 kind of guy who refreshes the spirit of others, we can't be a whiner. We can't be a guy who's full of self-pity, full of woe is me and full of everything's wrong in my life. We can't be that guy because that's not refreshing. You know, I mean, how many times are you around one of those guys and he's just, man, I grab about this and this is bad and that's bad and nobody treats me right and everybody's got me wrong. How many of you walk away from that conversation and say, man, I am just so encouraged in the Lord, you know? I just want to go serve Jesus, you know? No, you walk out, of, you, you run out of there usually. I got to get away from that guy. He's sucking all my joy out, you know? I mean, we can't be guys who who can't be counted on. We can't be guys who don't make commitments. Spiritual men make commitments. They they say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to do this thing. You can count on me. We can't be angry or bitter or selfish men if we're going to be men who refresh the souls of others. All right, so our spiritual father, Paul here, he's uh, wrapping things up. Don't zip up your Bible, okay? He's wrapping things up. And so he gives this exhortation. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. You know, can't you kind of see him with his hand on our shoulders, guys? He said, all right, I'm leaving this to you, okay? Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, your responsibility, your family. All right, this is yours. Okay, so what do you need to do? Well, first of all, you need to be watchful, okay? This is a great word. It's a word that means to be awake, okay? To be vigilant, to have your eyes open, to, to be aware of what's going on around you, okay? Interestingly enough, this word is almost universally in the New Testament, and there's a whole bunch of times it's used, almost always it's used in connection to prayer, okay? So if you want to know what does it mean to be watchful, well, prayer is right there, okay? Because almost always this is used in connection with prayer. Actually, it's not in this, this verse, but, but this is the exception. Almost everywhere else it is used in connection for prayer. Here was my question as I was studying this. I wrote this in my notebook. What am I watching for? Okay, that's a good question, isn't it? When someone says, be watchful, isn't that great to know? Okay, what exactly am I watching for? What am I looking for here? What, what am I supposed to be ready for? Okay, well, let me give you some, some scriptural answers to that question. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. There it is. Be watchful. What am I watching for, Peter? Well, let's keep reading. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What am I watching for? I'm watching for the devil who is trying to do what? Destroy my life. Destroy my wife. Destroy my kids. Destroy my church. Okay, that, that, that's what Peter says. So, so in that context, first of all, we are watching for, we are watching for evil that seeks to unravel our lives and, and, and our family lives, family's lives. All right, let me, let me sharpen that down a little bit. So we're watching for the devil. We're watching for attacks upon our life. Now look at Matthew chapter 26. Uh, this, this, this narrows it down. Verse 41, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus tells, tells the disciples, all right, watch and pray. Okay, what are we watching for, Jesus? Well, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
This is a great passage. I've walked through it with you before. But if we just go up a few verses, Jesus tells his disciples that they're about ready to get attacked. You know what Peter says in verse 35? Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You know what these guys said? Here's a group of guys that said, we are bulletproof. Okay? Guys feel that way sometimes. You know? It's kind of in our nature to feel that way. That, hey, nobody's taking me down. You know? And my kids, man, they are rock solid. They will never... You know, well, that's the last, you know, famous last words, right? They will never, yeah. My family, my marriage, my, my job, my, it, okay. Peter says, man, I'm bulletproof. I'm rock solid. And so Jesus takes them immediately after that to a garden. And he says, guys, watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. Three times he tells them the same thing. Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. What do they do? Sleep. They sleep. They go to sleep. You know why? Because in their minds, there's nothing urgent to watch for. Okay? Everything is fine. We are bulletproof. We're with Jesus. There's nothing that's going to happen. I will not deny him. I'm already girded up. I'm going to take a nap. What happens? Verse 69. Peter's sitting outside in the courtyard. Servant girl came to him and said, this is after Jesus' arrest. Peter's followed him into the courtyard. The girl says, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. He denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. He went to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him. She said to the bystanders, this was, this was Jesus. This guy was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it after an oath. I do not know the man. I don't know Jesus. I'm not one of Jesus. I'm not connected to Jesus. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are too one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. This is a couple hours after Peter said, I'm bulletproof. And Jesus said, okay, bulletproof man, you better watch and pray. And Peter slept and Peter fell. So what does it mean to watch? What it means to watch is to keep our eyes out for what is attacking us, for what is threatening us. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. Nobody that I know of anyway, I've, I've done a bunch of weddings and, and that I know of, nobody ever says on their wedding day, you know what? In about five years, I'm going to have an affair. Okay. Nobody ever says that. You know what nobody ever says? Nobody ever, nobody ever holds their baby boy on the day that he's born. And nobody ever says, hey, you know what, buddy? You know, in about 16 years, you and I are going to really grow apart. Probably about your 17th birthday, we won't even be talking. Nobody ever says that. No, nobody ever sits down and says, you know what? Let's overspend every month. You know, let's overspend every month so that after about five years, we're in, uh, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. We are so miserable and anxious and tied down that we cannot stand each other. Let's do that. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, hey, you know what, honey? Let's begin to hold a grudge. All these little petty things that irritate us about each other. Let's begin to store those away until there's a wall about 10 feet thick between the two of us. Nobody ever says that. Nobody says any of those things. Nobody ever says, nobody ever says, uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slowly stop reading my Bible and I'm going to slowly pull away from prayer, just slowly, so, so that in a year or so, I am completely cold in my affections for God. So that I go to church and I feel nothing. Nobody ever says that. But each one of those things happens every single day. How does it happen, my friends? It happens very slowly. It happens under the radar. And most people never see it coming. You know why they never see it coming? Because they are not watching. They're not watching. 
That's why the Bible says over and over again, you got to watch, watch and pray, watch and pray. Be, be careful. Not only just our own lives, also the lives of others. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, notice this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert. That word means watch. Keep alert. Wake up with all perseverance. Why? Making supplication. Supplication is a word for prayer. It means to pray for somebody. Making supplication for all the saints. Okay, so do you see what Paul does there? He, he equates prayerful watchfulness with praying for your Christian brothers and sisters' family. Friends, we got, we got to know what's going on in people's lives in order to pray for them, don't we? In order to pray well for people, we got to know what's going on. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and be sober-minded. That word sober-minded basically means be alert, okay? Sober-minded means... you. You, you, you're ready, you're serious, you're looking, you're watching, okay? Be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Do you want a strong prayer life, Peter says? Do you want a robust prayer life? Then, then you've got to be watchful, you've got to be sober-minded, you've got to be alert. Do you ever go into your prayer, prayer life, your prayer time, and do you ever struggle to pray because nothing really seems urgent? You know, I think that's, that's what's behind a lot of times when we, when we go to pray. You know, we go to pray and it's just like, okay. And all you can think of is, I got to change the oil in my car. Man, it is, it is a thousand miles over there. You know, I mean, that seems urgent. You know, we, we shut our eyes to pray and we're thinking, man, if I drive that car one more mile, the end is going to blow, you know. And, and, and the, the clothes in the closet, they seem urgent, you know. And the dishes in the sink, that seems urgent. But there really doesn't seem to be anything urgent that we need to pray for. Now, let, let me ask you. Does that mean that nothing is threatening us spiritually? Okay, when we feel that way, does that mean there is no spiritual threat? There's no sin creeping into our life? There's no idols starting to push out God in our lives? Does that mean our family, there's absolutely nothing that needs to be prayed for there because they're all doing awesome and they're all spiritually on track and there's no threat to their lives and they're not straying off in any way? Does that mean that everything in our church is absolutely wonderful and there's nobody that's about to tank and there's no marriage about to fall? Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. You know what it means? It means we're not watching. It means we are not watching. We have a need to be watchful. Okay? So as Paul wraps things up in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, all right, guys, men, the first thing you got to do, you're going to handle this. You're going to handle your families. You're going to handle the church. And if you're going to do that, you got to have your eyes open to what's going on. How do we do that? Three things. Let me give you some practical things. Number one. Be vigilant to pray in every area of your life. I think we need to discipline ourselves so that every day we pray for our wives. Every day we pray for our kids by name. Every day we pray for things like humility in our own lives, for things like um, uh, purity in our own lives, for things like a desire for God. I mean, I just think we have this, this, this framework in our prayers that says, okay, I, I don't care whether I feel like this is a threat or not. I am asking God to protect me from it. I'm asking God to keep this hot in my life. So number one, I think we have a framework of prayer that just guards our life and our family every day. I, I think of prayer many times as guarding, man. I send my kids off to school and I realize I can't be with them every day. You know, have you seen that commercial with that, that lady? That, uh, that uh, like she's with her son all the time. Like in, in, the, in the dodgeball game, she's in front of him knocking down the balls, you know, saying, don't she hit my kid, you know. And on his bike, she's back there pedaling, you know, with him. And we can't do that with our kids. We send them off. They got to go in the world sometime. But you know what I can do? I can fight for them on my knees. I, I can pray for my kids every day. Well, they're doing great. 
what am I not seeing, God? What am I not seeing? I know they're sinners. I know the devil's gunning for them. God, show me. Show me. What needs to be done? What needs to happen? What needs to happen to my kids? I need to see it, God. What about my wife? What's going on with her? God, I need to see that. Pray. Number two, have a healthy introspection about yourself. Psalm 139, the psalmist praises. He says, God, search my heart. Search my heart and know me. Show me if there be any evil way. You know what the psalmist is saying there? He's saying, you know what? I don't think there's going on anything wrong in me. But man, that doesn't mean there's not. Do you believe it's possible for you to be out of whack spiritually and not admit that to yourself? You bet. You bet. Happens all the time. So there's a need for us to say, God, show me myself. Show me my heart. God, reveal to me what's really going on in here. I need to be watchful. Number three, we talked about this at Man Up Wednesday. Learn to ask good questions. Okay? In order to be a watchful man, you need to learn to ask spiritual questions. You know what? If we never get past, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Good. You know what's scary? People have said, I'm fine. How are you? And then left their wife that night. I've had it happen. How you doing, buddy? We're doing great. I get a call six hours later. So-and-so just walked out of his marriage. Man, I talked to him this morning. He said he was fine. We got to learn to ask good questions. We, not that people, people will still lie. I understand that. It's not the be all answer, you know. It's not like if I would ask. What I'm saying is we got to learn to be watchful about people's lives. What's going on in our kids? What's going on in our wife? What's going on in our brothers? We need to be people who talk about those things. We know about them. We're watchful. We're ready. Friends, terrible things can happen in an unguarded moment. All right, real quick. Uh, be watchful. Number two, stand firm in the faith. Okay, this is kind of like we talked about before. Be, be, last week in verse 58, be immovable. Be the kind of person who stands for your convictions. Okay? Don't be the kind of person, don't be the kind of guy who, who has these strong convictions one year and, and they start to wane and by, by two years later, not so much conviction. Okay? We need to be people who stand firm in what we know God says and what the Bible says and, and what the scriptures say and what the Holy Spirit has said. We need to stand firm in the faith. Next phrase, act like men. Act like men. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about biblical masculinity. He's saying, be, be men of God. What is a man of God? Well, he's a man of courage. Some of your Bibles translate it, uh, act like men courageously, or I can't remember how the NIV translates it. Um, I love the King James. How many of you got a, a, an actual old English King James version? Anybody got one of those? Okay. Well, yours should say, if I remember right, quitchy like men. Does that say that? Quitchy like men? That's what the old King James say. I know that because at the Christian Academy, they have a verse for every letter of the alphabet. And there are hardly any verses that start with Q. So guess which one they pick? Quitchy like men, you know? And so I, I, just, I just love, you know, my, my four-year-old memorizing quitchy like men. I always ask him, do you know what that means? No idea, Dad. Quit ye like men. It almost sounds like quit being a man, you know. But in, in old English, quit means take it up, become, do it, okay? And, and, and so it's like, I can't remember. What else does it mean, Michelle? Michelle and I looked this up. 
To bear responsibility, yeah. Bear responsibility of a man. And it has a connotation of courage, okay? So men, don't be cowards is what it's saying. Ladies, let me tell you something about men, okay? Men do not like to do things they don't feel competent at. That is a basic rule of manhood. They do not like to think... You know what a man does not want to do? He does not want to do something where he's going to look silly. He doesn't. I mean, really. He does not. That's in our nature, okay? A lot of it's our sinful nature, but we do not want to look silly. We do not want to look stupid. We do not want to look incompetent. And you know the root of the reason a lot of guys don't lead out in prayer? You know the root of the reason a lot of guys don't have family devotions with their family? It's not, ladies, because they just have no interest a lot of times. I mean, that could be it. But, but, but a lot of times it's not that they don't have interest. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that they don't think it's important. You know what it is? They can't get over the fact of, I don't want to look silly here. I can't tell you how many guys have said, man, my wife, she knows the Bible a lot better than I do. I'm just, you know, I'm afraid. I, I don't, I don't want to lead out. You need to lead out. Why? doesn't matter if your wife knows more of the Bible than you are. You're the man. God's put you as responsible in your family. And, and, and so whether it's fear of stepping out in obedience or fear of what others will think of our faith or fear that, that we won't be able to follow through, or that we'll look silly or we'll be incompetent or, or we're afraid to speak of the gospel, or afraid to confront those we, we, we know we need to confront, the Bible says act like men. That's what Paul's telling these guys. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. And then he says be strong. Be strong in a spiritual sense, not a physical sense, but a spiritual sense. You, you know, it's cool that in the Bible, Paul commands spiritual strength. In other words, he tells people to be strong. That doesn't work that way with physical strength, does it? You never see the football coach bringing this scrawny little team into the weight room, and all of a sudden he just commands them, be strong, you know, and they, poop, 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 they pump up, you know, and walk out of their animals, you know. I mean, it doesn't work that way in physical strength. But you know, you know in spiritual strength, actually... It does kind of work that way. Isaiah 40, 31. But they, those who wait for the Lord. Some of you love this verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Did you hear that? They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What, what is the Bible telling us there? That those people who orient themselves to the Lord, who take a posture of, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm looking to you. I'm listening to you. I'm willing to do what you say. Those people get strong. They get strong in faith. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays for people to have strength. He says that according to the riches of His glory, that He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner being. And so Paul is saying, All right, guys, you feel weak. You feel incompetent. You know what you need to do? You need to look to God. (laughs) You need to pray. You need to ask for it. And God will make you strong on the inside. He will give you inner strength. He'll give you the ability to do what God's calling you to do. Final thing here. Verse 13 and 14. Let all you do be done in love. Again, is this anything new? No. He spent a whole chapter, 13, telling us to act in biblical love. He spent a whole chapter defining what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not act unbecomingly. Okay? Love, love does not seek its own. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, he spends a whole chapter just defining what is biblical love. Well, it, it's seeking the welfare of others above our own. It's willing to sacrifice for you, to invest in you. That's what biblical love does. And so right here he comes back and says, all right, guys, while, while you're seeking to be watchful and vigilant and protectors and providers, 
And while you're trying to be strong and fearless, make sure that whatever you do, you do in love. You know why? Because once you, once you step over love, whatever you do goes badly. Have you, have you recognized that, guys? How many of you guys have, have seen this in your family? You've been absolutely right, and it's been a disaster. Have you seen that in your family? You were right. You, you, you were right. You had the right conviction. You had the right belief. You said the right thing, and it was a disaster, and it was a disaster. Why? Because you didn't act in love. We've got to be guys who mix spiritual qualities, fearlessness, courage with love. Abraham Lincoln was said to be a guy of velvet steel. I like that. Velvet steel. What does that mean? He had both the characteristics of a leader and also of a guy who did what he did in love. Well, I wanted to end on verse 20 today. Uh, Verse 20 is a verse that is very neglected among churches. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And what I had planned on doing was getting Fred and Shelby up here to the front. And I was going to ask them, gentlemen, do you believe the Bible? And they were going to say, yes, pastor. And I was going to say, are you going to obey the Bible? And they were going to say, yes, pastor, we'll obey the Bible. I was going to read verse 20, all right? All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And we'll just see what kind of thing these guys are made of. But I decided not to do that. Let me tell you why I'm not going to do that. When I was a boy, I went to church with my grandmother, who was a Holderman Mennonite. And we were walking up to the front door of that Holderman Mennonite church. And these two big burly guys, they looked like those guys on Duck Dynasty, you know, with those big beards, you know. These great big guys, you know, had on their Mennonite jackets and big farmer guys, you know. And they walked up to each other and evidently one was from another town or whatever. And they're, oh, brother! And they came up and they kissed each other right on the lips. That scarred me so much as a boy that it, I'm still trying to get over that. And so I thought it'd be funny to get Fred and Shelby up, but I'm not going to because we've got young people in the room and I don't want them to suffer in the way that I've suffered. And so we will leave that off today for our act like men. I think you can't act like men and only kiss your wife with holy kisses. And anyway, that's probably a terrible way to end the sermon. But um, guys, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the men at Lincoln Avenue. I'm proud of what God's doing at Lincoln Avenue in our men. Um, we need to act like men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Um, thank you, Father, for giving us good men. Uh, thank you for Pastor Andrew and Pastor Chris. God, my heart rejoices at being able to serve with men uh, like them. And God, I pray that you'd help us to take responsibility for one another, for our families, for our children, for our church. God, help us to be men who act courageously, uh, who are not fearful. God, help us to be men who, uh, who are strong in faith and who do everything we do for the welfare of others. We do it all in love. God, help us to be those men. Bless the church with many more of those men. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.